Today we kick off a new series we're calling Pillars. Oh, what is a pillar? What, what is a pillar? What's its function? What does it do? Well, the primary function of pillars is to provide support and strength. It's meant to brace something or prop something up, to sustain something, to support something. And you and I can understand this idea and this concept of pillars when we think of construction projects, right? When we think of buildings, when we think of the ancient Parthenon in Greece and we understand pillars or we think of our modern buildings, the U.S. Supreme Court, for example, or, or even, even how pillars support the various piers along our California coast. And depending on how far you want to take this analogy or metaphor, there are many pillars of the Christian faith. Or there are many pillars of the Christian life. Today, we're looking at one of the pillars of our Christian experience the Christian life. And that is the pillar that we're call, uh, of joy. The pillar of joy. This pillar props up a large part of our daily experience as a Jesus follower. Being full of joy, living in joy, and choosing joy is one of the most important attributes and characteristics of the Christian life, of being a Jesus follower. Billy Sunday was a center fielder for the Chicago White Sox. Uh, it, back then, they were called the Chicago White Stockings. And somebody came along and said, we need to change this name. He became a Christian uh, during his time as a professional player. And as a result of his spiritual journey, he decided to leave baseball. He went on to become one of the great evangelists of the modern era. And Billy Sunday was a person who had tremendous passion, so much so that when he spoke, people commented all the time on his joy and the enthusiasm and passion that emanated from him. In fact, he spoke a great deal on the subject of joy because he believed it was a vital part of the, of the life of a Jesus follower. It was one of the pillars of being a Jesus follower. One time, Billy Sunday said this to a group of, of people. He said, the trouble with many people is that they have got just enough religion to make them miserable. If there is not joy in religion, you've got a leak in your religion. It's a great point. And my question to you is, have you sprung a leak? How's your joy? Is this pillar in your life in danger of crumbling, or has it crumbled? You see, joy is one of the most important topics in all the Bible. It's one of the pillars of being a Jesus follower. Without joy, we have a leak in our faith. Now, as you look through Scripture, you will discover that joy is multifaceted. It's very interesting. Joy, on one hand, is actually a feeling. On another hand, joy is actually an action. On another hand, it is also something that we can have within us. We know from Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, that joy is a fruit of the Spirit-filled life. It's the fruit of being in a right relationship with God. But then there's another aspect of joy. 
Paul actually commanded it. And he said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he said, I want you to always be joyful. How often should we be joyful? What does it say? How often should we be joyful? Always. He went on and then commanded in Philippians chapter 4, the word joy and rejoice are tied together. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again in case you missed it. Rejoice. So joy is multifaceted. It's the fruit of the Spirit, being in a relationship with God, and that brings joy. And yet we're also commanded to be joyful. We're told to be full of joy. With those ideas in mind, I want to look at a verse together. John chapter 15. John chapter 15. I ask that you turn there now. John chapter 15. We're going to look at what Jesus says to us. It helps us understand where we're headed today. And he says in John chapter 15, verse 4, Jesus says, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's interesting. Jesus is telling you and I that the more that we are connected to him, remaining in him, seeking him, the more joy that we will have in our life because joy is a fruit of the Spirit. So the opposite is true. The less connected we are to Jesus, the less our joy Or to kind of use some fruit language, the smaller our joy, the smaller our fruit. The question is, what is joy? What's the definition of joy? Well, New Testament, biblical joy, New Testament joy is this. It's a settled state of contentment, confidence, and hope. It's the state of delight and well-being that comes to you and I because of a a relationship that we have with Jesus. What that's saying, the Bible's telling you and I, is you and I cannot create joy on our own. You and I cannot, you know, muster it up and pull it out of thin air, especially the feeling part of it. It only comes to us if we are rooted in a relationship with Jesus. Let me give you kind of maybe a a little bit of an illustration to help us understand it, it, it. For example, how many here... Raise your hand. Uh, raise your hand if you go to the gym. Raise your hand. I've got, I've got a bunch of you go to the gym, okay? And then a bunch of you others maybe don't go to the gym, but you work out. So let's think about those of you who go to the gym. And recently, um, I, I've started going back to the gym after a long hiatus, and I'm back there, and I'm seeing a lot of you there, and, and it's great, and we're having, you know, getting to talk and share with one another, but we're there to, you know, work out. It's like, don't talk to me. I'm trying to work out, right? That was not a message to say, don't talk to me. Jeez, I shouldn't have just said that. That came out totally wrong. Uh, talk to me, talk to me. That, note to self, that was not right. So we're there, right? And we're working out. Now I want you to think about this for a moment. You cannot force upon yourself the good feelings that will come after a workout. You can't ahead of time say, you know what? I feel good. Because I'll be honest, a lot of times I go to the gym and I don't want to be there. I feel terrible. I don't want to go in. Raise your hand if you've ever experienced that. 
right? You're like, I, I, I'm not in, I, and you're like, okay, well, just, hey, just feel good. Just oh, feel good, and it doesn't happen, right? You can't pull it out of the air. It's not possible, but you get out of the car, you walk in, you get on the machine, or you push the weights, or whatever the case may be, and when the workout is over, and you're driving home, you're like, man, I feel so good. If you didn't pass out, you know, when you're working out. But you do, and okay, I want you to nod your head if you've been to the gym, and you've done a great workout, and you feel good afterwards. Do you know that? Nod your head. Okay, so you, you get it. You know what we're talking about. That's the same with joy. You can't muster it up. You can't say, okay, I'm going to feel joy now. You can't just pull it out of thin air. You can't pull that, pull that feeling of well-being and delight out just because you want to. But you do the workout. What's the workout according to Jesus? It's pursuing a relationship with him. That's, our, that's it. It's pursuing a relationship with him, remaining in Jesus. That's actually what Paul means in 1 Thessalonians 5 when he says to be joyful always. He's essentially saying pursue a relationship with Jesus always. And when you always pursue a relationship with Jesus, joy is always there. It's always present. You will then have, by pursuing that relationship, a state of a settled state of contentment, confidence, and hope. If you find, if I find that I'm not experiencing this type of joy, if there's a leak, if we're not full of contentment, if we're not full of confidence, and that's really just faith, if we're not full of hope, if we don't have that state of well-being and delight, if it's not something that's truly happening in our life and that we're experiencing, it's time to reevaluate our relationship with God, our connection to Jesus. How connected are we truly to him? This morning, I want to talk about a facet of this joy, and it's that experiential aspect, that experience that comes to us, that we have that settled state of contentment. And we're going to look at this um, from the perspective of Paul as he writes to the, to, the, uh, to the church in Philippi. So would you turn right now to the book of Philippians? It's in the New Testament. Philippians, we're going to pick up in chapter 1, and he's going to give us many clues into this, in this letter about what experiential joy looks like. He wrote to the believers there, and, and one of Paul's primary topics in this letter is the topic of joy. This is one of my favorite letters in all the Bible, and he's showing us, and he's going to show us there is a way to live a life of joy and experience a life of joy no matter what's happening in our life. And in just a couple verses, you and I are going to discover that one of the ways we see our joy increasing in our life is by being thankful. By being thankful. So let's look at this pillar of joy, one aspect of it, from Paul's perspective. You and I will experience ever-increasing joy first when we're thankful for the past. Look at Philippians chapter 1. Look at what Paul says in verse 3. He says, if we're thankful for the past, what does he say? And let's say the word together. He says, I what? I, I, I thank my God every time I what? I remember you. 
This is a pretty remarkable statement by Paul, and let me tell you why. Paul's first couple weeks in the city of Philippi were pretty rough. They were, they were, there were some pretty bad memories there. He had some awful memories, really, of his past when he remembered his past. And let's be real for a minute. Are there some memories that when you look back, you can remember a place, a time, a person, a situation, a city, an experience? And if you're real and you think about it, it brings a lot of pain, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? When you look back and you remember, it brings pain. That could have been the case for Paul. Paul could have looked back in, his, in memory, and he could have thought to himself this. He could have thought, hey, you know what? I remember getting to Philippi, and, and I met this lady Lydia, and man, she was sure annoying. And man, she was overbearing, and she was this rich snob. And then I remember we were in the city and, 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 and there's this demon-possessed slave girl and she kept following us around and harassing us and distracting the people from hearing the message of God. And then we were like, man, we got to cast the demon out of her and get it out of her so we can kind of keep doing our thing. And, and so he cast out the demon from her. And then Paul's like, and geez, I did that. And the next thing you know, it made things worse. I cast out the demon. And then as a result of that, I end up getting arrested. But man, when you get arrested in this day and age, you don't just get arrested, you get beat. And I was whipped and flogged with rods and whips, and it was terrible, and my back was filleted open. And then I remembered I got arrested and beat, and then I'm tossed into prison, and it's a dark prison, and it's a dirty prison. And man, then I remember I'm in there chained up, my back's wide open. Next thing you know, there's an earthquake. Good grief. And now, it looks like I'm going to die because of this earthquake. But that's not the worst part. Man, when I look back and I remember, I remember that God told me in a dream to go to this place in the first place. Good grief, God. Yeah, I remember. I remember the terrible experiences that I had. What could have done that? instead of rehearsing in his mind these negative events that happened in Philippi, everything I told you happened in Philippi. You can go into Acts, the book of Acts, and read about the story of how all of this happened. And Paul could have rehearsed all the negative events in his mind and had a negative perspective, but Paul made a choice. And Paul made a choice to thankfully see and focus on the good that happened in the past. Paul saw the same circumstances I just described to you from a different perspective. Paul saw the events of the past and remembered the events of the past from a, from a place of gratitude and a place of thankfulness. So in instead, kind of rooted deeper in this verse of verse 3, when I remember you and I thank God for you, Paul was basically saying, yeah, I remember Lydia. Man, she had a strong personality. But what's so awesome is when she gave her life to Jesus Christ, she was on fire. And the next thing you know, she, she wants to win her family to Jesus and lead her family to Christ. And so she does that. And man, that, that personality of hers, I'll tell you, she was something. And she insisted that we use her home, you know, for this new church that was st starting. And she had a huge home. She was loaded. The house was big. And she insisted. So it was perfect for us because we had a place to meet and it was a great place. 
And yeah, I remember casting out that demon from that girl who was heckling us. And you know what I remember more than anything else? When that demon was gone and I looked into her eyes and her eyes were free and her countenance was free, she had been set free from that bondage. It was incredible. And yeah, I did get thrown into prison as a result of that, but you know what was cool? We had our own little worship time and we were singing to God and we were praising God in that time. Yeah, I was in these chains, but it was the best worship time I've ever had with God. And I remember when I was singing, all of a sudden this earthquake came. Man, and it was awesome. I'm kind of thinking God sent the earthquake. It might have been a miracle because it shook everything so much so that my chains literally fell off. And then all of a sudden, the, the Philippian jailer who was responsible for taking care of us, he thought, we're, you know, we're all going to leave and he's going to die, so he decides to kill himself. And instead of that, we share the gospel of Jesus with him. He'd heard us singing. He saw our, our joy in the midst of our pain. And he was like, I want that. And I shared Jesus with him, and he gave his life to Jesus and became a Jesus follower right there in the jail. And he was so excited. We went to his house, and then we shared Jesus with the whole family, and they all believed. And then that very night, we, they all got baptized. And all that happened because we were tossed into prison. I praise God I was in prison because God used that to lead a whole bunch of people to himself. Same circumstances, right? Different perspective. Thankfully seeing the good in the midst of the bad, in the midst of the tragedy, in the midst of the hurt, in the midst of the pain, looking for the blessings, not looking for the issues and the challenges. And Paul said this, when I remember, when I look back upon those circumstances, what did he say in that verse 3? What was the second word? I what? I thank I thank God every time I remember you. This morning, I, the sermon was wrapped up and, and took a shower and, and, and getting ready to go. And then all of a sudden, one more thought came to me and I jotted it down in this section. Thank God every time I remember you. No matter what the circumstances are. Here's, what, here's just the last minute thought that came to mind. And here's the question I wrote. Is it really bad circumstances that seem to always follow certain people? Do you know some people who it seems like bad stuff is always following them? Do you know those people? Do you know some of those? Right? You're like, why is it that it seems like bad stuff always follows them? That's all I hear from them. That's all that's going on in their life. Is it really bad circumstances that always seem to follow certain people? Or is it just bad perspective? Or is it just bad perspective? Paul had the right perspective. He chose to be thankful. Hebrews chapter 12 says, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Man, that's what you and I have in Jesus Christ. We have a kingdom that cannot be shaken, no matter what the circumstances are. He then said, let us be what? Let us be? Let us be? Let us be thankful. You see, like Paul, you and I have a choice. Positive and negative things happen every single day in every one of our lives. And you can look at everything from a perspective of what you don't have, what you've missed out on, what you've lost, what you haven't gained, all the rotten things that were done to you, or 
you can choose to have a thankful spirit. Because if you look at all the negative, man, you will have a critical and negative spirit. And you'll be that person. That person. That people look at and go, man, yeah, I, uh, the one that people are talking about. Or, you can experience the fruit of the Spirit, which is joy. Because you say, I'm going to look back and I'm going to remember and I'm going to see what's happened and from an attitude and a perspective of gratitude and thankfulness. When my dad was a new believer, he was discipled or, or mentored by, by a man named Larry. And in the early days of my dad's faith, and that was something God was always working on him, frankly, till the day he died but, and went to be with Jesus. But whenever my dad focused on the negative and wasn't thankful, which he was prone to do, especially in the early days, whenever he focused on the negative or, or the bad things that were happening and he wasn't thankful, Larry would look at him, he'd put up his hand and say, don't bring that spirit here. Don't bring that spirit here. You know what? Maybe you and I should use that. Maybe as, as a way, in a loving way, kind of code to say to somebody when they travel down this path that we're saying, you know, it's really hard to be around you right now because you're just not very thankful and you're so focused on the negative. It's just difficult to be, be around you. So don't bring that spirit here. So I guess what I'm saying is I'm giving you permission to try it. Do it from a place of love and care. Don't bring that spirit here. Like Paul, we can be thankful. We can choose to focus on the pos positive and be grateful for our past. That's how you experience the joy of the Lord. Next, you and I can experience this joy of the Lord when we thankfully pray. Or when we pray with a thankful spirit. Let's look at verse 4 together. Paul says this, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. I had a professor who would always say, we need to constantly pray with an attitude of gratitude. It's just always stuck with me. Always pray with an attitude of gratitude. One of the traits of a person who is full of joy is that they just pray, and they pray a lot, and their prayers are spent with an, having an attitude of gratitude before the Lord rather than coming before the Lord and always griping and grumbling and complaining. Listen, this is so important. Nothing inhibits our prayers, and nothing inhibits our joy more than a grumbling and a complaining spirit, especially when we bring that before the Lord. In Psalm chapter 106, I'd encourage you to read it this week. It summarizes the grumblings of the Israelites that they did before the Lord. And it tells us of the consequences of their grumbling. God told them, I think some of you, a lot of you might know the story, because of their grumbling before the Lord, God told them they would not enter the promised land. They would not go in, but they would wander the desert for 40 years until they all died. They weren't going in. Why? Because of their grumbling. What was their promised land? I want you to think about this for a moment. What was their promised land? We know from the, from the story, from the scriptures, that it was a land, maybe you, some of you know, it was a land flowing with what? With what? Flowing with milk and honey. That was kind of saying it's a land of abundance. It's a land where God would give them peace that God would give them freedom from their enemies, that they would experience the joy of the Lord. But because they didn't come before God with an attitude of gratitude 
and thankfulness, God said, you're not going in. You're staying in the desert. And when we don't come before God with an attitude of gratitude, I think you and I as believers miss out on our promised land. What's our promised land? You know, when I think about it, the verse that comes to mind is John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus said this, I have come that you may, and I don't want to give you life, abundant life, life to the fullest. You see, I think the, the promised land for the believer is the abundant life in Jesus Christ. Here at LifePoint, our mission is to point you to life in Jesus. Now, we don't give all the flowery language and just the simple mission statement, but when we say to point you to life in Jesus, we're talking about abundant life. We're talking about the promised land of being a Jesus follower. And life in Jesus comes with tremendous freedom. It comes with peace. It comes with joy. Nothing stifles the joy of the Lord more in our life than a bad attitude or a grumbling spirit, especially in our prayers before the Lord. Years ago, uh, a person who doesn't go to LifePoint anymore, hence the reason I can share this story, this person was going through a real difficult time and wanted me to come over and pray with them. So I show up to their house and I'm like, that sounds good. I mean, they were going through a lot. And when I arrived, I was shocked by what happened next. When they opened the door and they saw me, they put up their hand, much like Larry did to my dad. They put up their hand and they said, I want you to know I'm not ready for your joy. I was actually like, I was taken back. that, That next moment felt like 20 minutes. It was probably only a second or two as I had to get my bearings. Man, that person didn't realize God wanted to prop them up to give them his peace and his freedom and his joy in the midst of their challenges and their pain. They didn't realize what the Bible says in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. We'll put it on the screen. Let's say a couple words together. What does it say? It says, first of all, the what? The of the Lord is our? They wanted prayer. They knew, you know, the right place to go, get prayer. But they weren't ready for the joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. If you want more joy, then pray regularly. And pray with an attitude of gratitude, no matter what the circumstances. The more grateful we are in prayer, the more we experience the joy of the Lord. Finally, to experience ever-increasing joy in our life, we're called to be thankful for God's good work. We're called to be thankful for God's good work. Look at verse 6 in Philippians chapter 1. Paul continues on and he says, he says, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, not me who began a good work in you, not myself who began a good work in myself, not somebody else who began a good work in you, he said, he He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Listen, I get it. I get it that one of the things that robs us of our joy is the lack of certainty in our lives. I mean, maybe we're we're thinking about our future and and we just don't know what the stock market is going to do. Is it going to go up or down? Maybe you're buying a home at, you know, 
the wrong time, or maybe you should not be with this particular person, or maybe this job opening, maybe it isn't for you, or maybe this school, that's not for you. It's all the what-ifs and all the maybes that can rob you and I of our joy, the uncertainty of what's next. But Paul had joy. And the reason he had joy is because he had certainty. He had a confident hope. He was absolutely sure that whatever he was going through in life, no matter how uncertain it seemed, God was still there and God was working on him and on others. Experiencing joy comes to you and I when we're confident. We're confident that God is always working. He's working in you. And He's working in those around you. Wanting us to become more like Jesus. He's working on you. And He's working on them. God is in the betterment business. He takes what's dirty and messed up and scarred and broken. And what does the New Testament tell us? When you are in, in Jesus Christ, the old is gone. Does anybody know the verse? The old is gone. The what has come? The, the new has come. He takes the old and the messed up and the scarred and the broken down and the destroyed and the hurt and He makes it new. And when you think about that God's in the betterment business and He's doing a good work in somebody, that person, and He's carrying it on to completion, I know what you think about some people. Seems pretty slow. Right? You look at some people and you think to yourself, God is working on that person? I'd hate to know what it was like if He wasn't working on them. Right, right. You, you, you know that those people, those situations. But Philippians 1, 6, this is an important verse. In fact, for me personally, it's one of my pillar verses in my life as a Jesus follower. Because this is one of the most liberating verses in all of the Bible for me because it lets me know that it's God doing the work. When I stand up here and deliver His Word, when I have conversations with you, and, 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 and sometimes it's seems slow, the change and the transformation. I'm not banking on, well, Chris, do a better sermon, work harder, meet with them more, do this, say it. I'm not thinking about that, though I try to do that just in my craft, but in, in trusting God in that. But I'm not relying on me. I'm trusting God's doing the work. He's the one transforming us and changing us. And what that helps me with is, it helps me to say, Chris, who's in control, you or God? It helps me to release that control. God's doing the work. One Sunday, someone sent me this text. And here's what the text said. Okay, here's the text. It said this, Chris, am I allowed to ask so-and-so, this, this individual, am I allowed to ask so-and-so, are you as miserable as you look during worship? I'm keeping my head down right now. Here's what I told the person. I, I texted back and I said, after chuckling, I said, yeah, but God is doing a work in their life and he will carry it on to completion. This was a while ago and that's just what oozed out of me because this is kind of a pillar verse to me. Yeah, but God's doing a work in them and he's carrying it on to completion. And then here's how I ended it. I said, their face may just be the last thing God works on. <laughs> And I actually mean it, because I'm not going to try to control that. God's doing the work, 
One of the things Billy Sunday also said is this. He said, don't look as if your Christianity hurts you. God is working in all of our lives. We need to trust that he's the one doing the work and he's the one that's going to carry it on to completion. And you and I will experience far more joy in our life if we don't try to take over his job. When life is uncertain and we have the what-ifs in life and the maybes and I'm not sure and I want to step in and try to do God's job, that doesn't lead me to more joy. That leads me to more misery and the lack of joy. Let's trust God that He's doing the work. Are you confident in God's ability to work in you and the person next to you? And the people around you, are you confident that God's doing it? If so, you're going to experience far more joy if that's where your confidence lies. As we get ready to wrap it up, I, I want to read a quote that David Wilkerson, pastor, said that just, it's heavy. It's even shocking, but it ties into what we're talking about today. He said this. He said, the drying up of joy and gladness in believers is evidence everywhere you look today. So many of God's people are sad and defeated because they have lost the joy of the Lord. Many Christians seem just as lonely, blue, and fearful as the unbeliever. It has become a disgraceful testimony to the world. Then he asks this, he says, Do I have that unspeakable joy, or have my joy and gladness withered? Am I a worthy testimony to the loss that Christ can fill the heart with the highest degree of joy? Or have I become a de another depressed, worried Christian? Is there enough joy in my soul to overflow in my actions and my conversation? Or have I become a murmurer and complainer like the children of Israel? They're good questions for you and I to consider this morning. Because God is calling each of us to be people of joy. And the way that you and I can experience ever-increasing joy in our life is being thankful for what has happened in our life, praying thankfully to God every day, praying with an attitude of gratitude and being confident in God's ability to work out His will and His way in, in our lives and in the lives of others around us. We're thankful for what he's done in the past, what he's doing now, and what he'll do in the future. I close with a verse by Paul in 1 Thessalonians. I think this is Paul sharing what we've talked about this morning with another group of believers. And here's how he described what we've talked about this morning. He said this, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. He said, always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's what? This is God's will for you who belong to Jesus Christ. So how about it? How about we have this attitude where we are always joyful because we never stop praying and we pray with an attitude of gratitude, remembering what God's done in the past, confident in what He's doing now and what He'll do in the future. And if that's the spirit we have, God will fill us, and we will have experienced an exponential amount of joy in our life. Is that what you want? One of the pillars of the Christian experience.